Namaste India. Glad to be back. And today I think I have my comments working. So I'm going to tell you, uh, uh, we'll continue our discussion on uh, archaeology, ancient India, scientific evidence, what it means for our itihas, what it means for our um, grand narrative and so on. But before that, I want to tell you what are some of the things that I have been doing and what are the, some of the things I plan to do. So first, before taking on your questions, let me tell you that Infinity Foundation published 14 volumes on uh, Indian archaeology, ancient history, science and technology. Uh, the first one, one of them is by J.P. Joshi on Harappan uh, technology. And he was the Director General of the Archaeological Survey of India. He is the one credited for discovering Dholavira. And so he did a lot of research in Dholavira, Lothal, all these places. And wrote for us, he passed away a few years ago, this was his final book. So it's an important thing. We also have by uh, D.P. Agarwal, who was TIFR scientist, who brought the carbon dating to India. Before that, carbon dating had to go to England. And he brought a lab, uh, set up a lab in India. He wrote one of the books for us on Harappan engineering. Then we have uh, this traditional, uh, uh, you know, architecture, Himalayan, Himalayan architecture, where some of the old temples survived hundreds of earthquakes, which modern buildings can't survive. And how these were built in a Vedic style, what that architecture is all about. He, this, he's done this research. Then there is <clears throat> water management in ancient India. In the ancient India had tanks and canals, dams, all kinds of things. So this is a, a archaeological book on that. Then this is traditional water management later period, not the very ancient period, but the period after that. Another amazing work. And this kind of research is being used by in some of the places to revive water like Rajasthan, where water is scarce. So they're using these techniques. Now, this is the history of metals in India. One of the areas, we, we all know that uh, India was great in mathematics and astronomy and chemistry and medicine. But, you know, you need to know that India was also great in metallurgy. Some of the greatest metallurgical discoveries and achievements were in India. And this is acknowledged by uh, metallurgist, history of uh, metallurgy people all over the world. Uh, zinc. Zinc is very important as a, as a for, for making alloys. And zinc, the zinc technology pioneered in India, remained pioneering, exported to the whole world. Zinc was worth its weight in gold. And this remained the case for centuries. And it's the British who came and documented that, acknowledged that. And then this technology was transferred to Europe. Okay. So then we have history of Indian iron. This is done by the late... Uh, IIT, famous IIT Kanpur professor, uh, who looked at the Delhi Iron Pillar, what is so special about it, what are its properties, how it's made, and how it can be used in modern times, because even in modern times, they could use it to make uh, steel that will not rust for thousands of years. Uh, so he, he was developing this kind of technology for today's use. And this is a bigger history of uh, iron by Vibhatri Party from Banaras Hindu University. So this, uh, this, uh, uh, so anyway, I will 
uh, I will, I can continue showing you books, but I think the problem with the, uh, the video is the, it shows up in a mirror. I just wanted to tell you that these books exist uh, uh, and this mirror business, you can't read it very carefully. So I'll put it up on the, on the net, on the, under the website, I'll put up the titles of all these where you can read an update about them because you need to do that. It, in this, I, I'm not trying to tell you details about the books, just tell you that they exist. So what I want to tell you now is this. Uh, in 2017, we are going to do a world conference series on ancient Indian archaeology, recent discoveries, what are the scientific findings, and what is the implication for the Indian grand narrative. This is what we are going to uh, discuss uh, next year. We've started a Swadeshi Indology uh, conference series this year, and next month will be the first conference in IIT Madras that will be on Sheldon Pollock, critique of Sheldon Pollock. We'll probably do two, uh, two uh, uh, conferences like that. Uh, and then next year in 2017, we will switch from Sheldon Pollock and, uh, and his work on Sanskrit and what, what's wrong with it. We'll switch to ancient Indian archaeology. And we'll talk about, you know, uh, Mahinder Parvat, and we'll talk about all the places in Haryana which are now being discovered, and uh, Dhola Veera and, Guj and Gujarat, and uh, all these places, you know, we'll talk about. So uh, the group of people we want to bring together will be archaeologists, linguists, historians, art historians, uh, people who know about uh, genetics, so that we can put a comprehensive view together. The original History of Indian Science and Technology series that we did was uh, done by Infinity Foundation. We had 10 years of conferences bringing people together. Uh, when we ran out of funds, we stopped. And now we've teamed up with Indus University uh, in Ahmedabad, and they are a great partner. And they've taken over the, the, the lead in continuing this work. So we are going to put all our resources together, the old archaeology people we, we have, new, many new archaeology people are wanting to join in, uh, Indus University, and so on, and create this kind of a new uh, conference for next year. And we want to bring in Sanskrit experts, text experts, people who know Vedic texts and Itihas and, and, and you know all the stuff, Puranas, so that they can tell us how to interpret the archaeological findings. The problem we are having is the scientists don't know enough about our tradition and people who know about the tradition aren't familiar with the latest scientific uh, and, and discoveries. And then the genetics people are doing their own thing. So this is fragmented and this needs to be brought together. That is our goal uh, for uh, for 2017. Now, I want to take a few questions that came. The um, uh, Ashutosh Sharma and uh, Chiranth Srinivas are saying uh, about the Aryan theory, uh, that the, the Westerners continue talking about it. What are the counter arguments? In a nutshell, the counter arguments are that in, an invasion means sudden destruction but there is all the evidence that there is a gradual evolution, there is no abrupt change. So there is no destruction of the civilization, there is nothing like that. Secondly, there is continuity of symbols and rituals uh, from that era till today. Okay, There is a lot of Hindu symbolism, Vedic symbolism found there. So the, uh, the Vedic stuff did not originate elsewhere, Sanskrit did not come from elsewhere. Sanskrit and Vedis, Vedas certainly originated together. And since this civilization based in India physically has those kind of symbolism evolving over time, continuously being used, obviously the two are similar, the two, two have a common origin. 
So there are plenty of evidences like that, including genetic evidence. And I want to bring this together in a more clear format because right now it's very difficult for ordinary people to understand some of the latest scientific discoveries. So we are, we are working on that. Yeah. Then there, then somebody, uh, Venkat Nalam wants to know that are there separate uh, Dravidian languages, uh, given that many South Indian languages have uh, common roots with Sanskrit. You know, this is a, this is a good topic to discuss. Uh, certainly, Tamil is a great language, has its own history, its own past and grand literature. But certainly, it is not in conflict with the Sanskrit. And certainly, it is not isolated from Sanskrit. The two have borrowed. Uh, the, the Sanskrit borrows from local languages, Indian, uh, uh, traditional Indian languages. They contribute words to Sanskrit and Sanskrit contributes to them. So, so the, the literature also uh, has moved back and forth in the sense that uh, people have been bilingual. A lot of people have been bilingual. In my book, The Battle for Sanskrit, I talk about this, uh, this idea of a kind of uh, like an internet sharing knowledge across many nodes. This sort of thing has existed with Sanskrit and the local languages as well. Uh, there's someone, uh, then there's uh, Ranjan Menon. R Ranjan Menon says, what is the chronology of Birrana? Bir 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 that is the correct pronunciation. Uh, they spell it as B-I-R-R, but actually it's Birrana. They don't know, know R maybe. So he wants to know what's the chronology and was it continuous and how, what is its relationship with today's villages in that area? We don't know the relationship with today's villages too much because we haven't dug up enough. It's just been recently discovered. But it's very clearly linked with the ancient other Vedic sites and other Harappan sites. And it's the oldest. It goes back to almost 10,000 years from now, 10,000 years old, much older than the so-called 5,000-year-old civilization we mentioned. It's 10,000 years actually. Much old. It's older than Mehargarh in Pakistan, which earlier was considered to be the center and the starting point. But we now know that Haryana has older locations than anything in Pakistan. So, uh, and probably we'll find things even older than that somewhere. So the chronology is very continuous. Things are shifting from one place to another, back and forth. You cannot say it is west moving to the east or east moving to the west because things are moving in different directions. This is a large space where not new knowledge is created and, and shared across the whole space. So, uh, so then uh, there's a question by uh, Prasanna Naresh. Khakre and Shivesh Singh, uh, is Mahindra Parvat uh, in Cambodia, which has been discovered, uh, the same as the one mentioned in uh, Ramayana? Now, that's a very interesting question. Certainly, certainly the Mahindra Parvat discovered in Cambodia has Vishnu, I mean, the Vishnu uh, place. Uh, uh, there is a lot of Vaishnavism there and a lot of the local people, the, the mere fact they call it Mahindra Parvat. So, how far back we can take it because this this city is 12th century and it's considered to be the largest empire in the world until at the, in the 12th century. So how far back we can take it, we don't know because it hasn't been dug up enough. How far back and how do we relate it to Ramayan, we don't know. I do want to tell you that Ayodhya, there is an Ayodhya in, uh, in uh, 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 Thailand also. There are There is a forest in uh, uh, Bali which they say is the uh, is the Hanuman's uh, monkeys are the the descendants of Hanuman's monkeys are uh, uh, living in that forest and you can see monkeys there. So many regions claim to be part of the narrative of Ramayana. So this is where scientists have to do more work. I mean, is it so that uh, uh, Hanuman in his journey 
uh, went, you know, a certain distance, went a certain way. We don't know. Is it that in their imagination they want to be Hindu, they want to be part of the Ramayana narrative and so they've named their local towns to be part of the Ramayana geography? We don't know. So I think this is the kind of research that nobody has done. Uh, uh, people have looked in isolation to history, people doing their thing and, you know, archaeologists doing their thing. And we need to bring all these together, which is what we're trying to do. Uh, is Kalash temple related to Angkor Wat? I don't know. I mean, I'll be very honest with you. I don't know. This is an interesting point. Is Kalash, uh, you know, the relationship, the relationships among uh, something here and something somewhere else is a very important topic. People are, people need to look for symbols, you know, this, this, or, or the type of stone used or the type of metallurgy. Uh, was there a relationship? They need to find that out. This, this kind of thing. Um, somebody wants to know, uh, Gyanendra Singh and Venkat Nalam, also Navneet Koshya and Atharva Pounderik, they want to know, uh, where do you get more information from? How do we get involved? Well, you can write to us. Uh, we ca you can volunteer for our conferences next year and that will give you a lot of knowledge. Uh, obviously, we need a lot of research done. We need to coordinate with many uh, scientists, many archaeologists. And so if you really want to get involved, then get involved by helping us out and you'll also learn. Uh, so then uh, uh, Aditya Krishna says, why aren't we taught more about Arya Bhatt, Chanakya, Bhaskaracharya? That's a very good point. I'll club several questions. Kapil Verma says, uh, why isn't ancient history taught in our textbooks and why aren't we proud of it? Pranav Sharma, how can we make young people really proud of their heritage? Gayatri Sivaguru says, why are British rule and other invasions dominating uh, the school textbooks and not our own treasures? Pankaj Sharma says that what we teach is more about French Revolution, American War, Renaissance, uh, you know, all of that stuff. And here we are discovering new things in Cambodia about Hindu culture and people don't know that. Uh, then Manish Oja asks, should India's grand narrative also include our miserable past under Mughal rule? Now, that's a controversial thing to say, but I, I don't mind that. I think, yes, the answer is yes. And uh, uh, Akash Raviyanandan says that due to a lot of quackery by some of our scholars, I'm glad he says that, uh, our image is tarnished. So even when we are saying something valid, people don't believe us. And so if we were to stand up and say this is 6,000 years old or 8,000 years old, they laugh at us. And, uh, unless some internationally credible journal publishes it. But those people are not going to publish it. So what do we do? So this is where I think the government can play a role. This is where the Ministry of Culture and HRD can come together and we can create some new journals which are going to be very Swadeshi. We have started a movement called Swadeshi Indology. The Swadeshi Indology movement is a movement to uh, basically uh, bring the Hindu Vedic Drishti to look at all this evidence uh, from a fresh perspective. And uh, we will publish a book every time. We will do videos uh, from Chennai. We will try to live telecast some videos. Uh, we are doing our bit. But, you know, the power a government has and the funding they have and the legitimacy and the credibility they have is huge. And this requires re-educating our politicians, re-educating our bureaucrats, re-educating our gurus, re-educating our scholars, because they've all been affected uh, in the last, you know, many decades by some things, uh, by a kind of ideology which is not very correct. Uh, 
then somebody says uh, 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 Ridhima Soni and Shashank Shekhar Panda want to know how do we tell our friends that Mahabharata and Ramayana are not some myth and Surendra Reddy says how do we counter Devdak Patnaik's uh, myth syndrome so this business that Itihas and Purana are not true they are val not valid they are false and they are made up and chauvinistic and all that you have to hit hard against it and do not do not accept a partial compliment if a, if somebody comes and says it's all myth but it is beautiful myth okay it is it is it is so nice and uh, elegant and the poetry is so nice but you know it's myth act ultimately and don't mind everybody else also has myth all these primitive cultures do you should not accept uh, insincere dishonest compliments because because they're meant to undermine you and so what you can do is since you are informed about these this problem you should go and talk to your friends i'm going to give you homework i'm going to say that every week each one of you should have at least one conversation with friends family somebody where you take one of these issues do your homework whether you talk about mahendra parvat whether you talk about the validation of itihas in modern uh, archaeology whatever topic you choose do your homework so you're not looking like somebody who's just a quack you know and and then argue now you won't win the first time you won't win the second time but you will get better and better as you argue more you will become better at it and then you will be able to share your your experiences in videos in writings in blogs that is how you become an activist with an intellectual foundation so this is something you all can do what should be the role of temples that's the next group of questions so joshila kanak subramaniam says why why not religious heads and mathas join together and create awareness like sri shankaracharya did uh, and aditya krishna says how can temples attract the youth today vandana gobil says what role can temples play in preserving sites you are absolutely right temples that are rich have good management have funding already are not in trouble with the government uh, controlling them they should take this lead i don't want to name because then you know somebody thinks i'm picking on someone but major hindu establishments should take the lead in 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 championing our heritage funding this research like for instance our conference series we could use sponsors they can help us uh, we have to fly scholars here and there they can pay for that so that we have to publish they can help us with that we want to do documentaries they can help us with that so major temples ought to get involved in the intellectual dimensions beyond being just centers for bhakti bhakti is so important and i am a bhakti bhakt myself but we we have to do more than just that so temples can play this role and temples can also have ambassadors they can train people to be good ambassadors and go around preaching they can create like hindu evangelists they, they should do that so mahesh sharma says can government remove control from temples uh, shivanand kari gaudkar kari gaudkar kari gaudar says recent discoveries in cambodia can the government of india help of course uh, the the you know the strange thing is the discoveries in cambodia are done by uh, archaeologists from australia europe and so on and these are being published in western journals we don't know what they've missed out and what they've skipped and how they filtered indian press and indian media are, are quoting the western sources and saying this has been discovered according to this and that report why haven't ndtv sent their team why hasn't times now sent their team why not times of india why isn't there uh, uh, you know ministry of culture sent a team researchers come back and uh, tell us about it first hand why second hand so this you know the priorities have to change 
there is plenty of uh, priority for uh, you know our media to send a big team to some event somewhere but not for this kind of a thing going to sending a team to uh, to cambodia so it's a shame and indian archaeologists are the ones who should be uh, helping the cambodian government this is very important because you don't know where the material is being taken probably it's been taken to australia or europe for checking it out and testing it and maybe it'll never even go back like so much of our material went to western countries and we never got it back so uh, indians uh, have to own up to this heritage responsibility it is not just something you enjoy it is also something where you have your own responsibilities it is you don't have just right to the heritage you have responsibilities to the heritage and we are not doing enough of that so i wish more people would uh, take up take this up in a in a serious way so there is a somebody says uh, that uh, 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 what uh, minorities are running schools but hindus can't run schools so this whole business of temples temples being under government control there is a court there's a case in high court and we are waiting for the decision we are hoping it will be a good decision but you know the issue will be that uh, uh, when the when the uh, 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 when when the issue the issue will be that when uh, the temples are control taken back to given back to from the government to hindu organizations which hindu organization will there be in fighting uh, do we have an organization in place should it be at the national level should it be every state having its own and who's going to run it uh so uh, how professional is uh, the hindu management in temples we don't have a seminary so who how how professional are the management skills legal financial administrative it's not just being a pujari and knowing uh, rituals so it's like running an uh, running a, a modern enterprise modern corporate enterprise we need such people uh, do we have such people have we been training such people so we should have in preparation that we'll get the temples back the large rich temples should be training a whole uh, you know group of young professionals to become administrators managers chief executives in various temple organizations so then we can go to the courts and say we are ready we want to take it back otherwise if we take it back and there's a big scandal there's some kind of a financial scandal corruption scandal infighting legal squabble it will be worse than if we just left it because if we leave it with the government at least we can keep uh, we have a danda we can keep criticizing them the moment we take it then the whole media and the secular brigade and the hindu phobics will have a danda on us because they'll say that look these hindus don't know how to run the show so uh, my concern is that we will be given control soon i'm happy that's the good news my concern is that we may not be ready in terms of our own getting our own act together so this this is a this is a concern uh, now is there a role for akhara parishad because akhara parishad has a lot of traditional authority and akhara parishad also they its members together own several lakh temples but i'm not sure how sophisticated they are in modern management so i'm going to during this forthcoming trip to india i'm going to meet uh, the president of the akhara parishad the head of the all india akhara parishad and discuss these issues see you know if they need help and where can we help get them help from uh, and and counsel them on what are some of the some of the issues uh the in hindu temple management needs standards audit scrutiny they need to be decentralized yet there need to be some common standards so have we developed what are the good management standards what are like the iso standards for hindu temple management you know we need to do that rather than saying okay some un will tell us you know or some uh, foreign harvard business school or something will tell us how to run temples we ought to be developing this ourselves so the professionalism in management needs to be brought 
and there needs to be broader responsibility than just managing the bhakti aspect inside a temple. My feeling is that the large rich temples have the resources and the management savvy. They should provide nurturing and mentorship to the small temples. So big temples should adopt in their region, small temples, let them be independent, don't try to take them over. But adopt them in the sense of mentoring them, helping them, offering them money, offering them training. Every In every region of India, where whoever are the biggest temples should come together and tr conduct work workshops and conduct, uh, you know, give certification for priests and managers and so on of temples. So this way our temple, society of temples will become robust. We'll be able to dictate terms with the government or media or anybody. There should be media savvy also in these temples and, we'll be, and there should be comparative religion taught. Taught. So all of this could be done if the temples could get their act together. Then there are questions concerning uh, uh, government. Nitin Poswal says, why not have a heritage ministry? Uh, Praveen uh, Hegde says, how to disassociate all this from politics and political reactions? Uh, and Chetan Patel says that in Dwarka, uh, they, we, we haven't had the uh, technology and the funding to go beyond a few kilometers. So what can be done? Uh, so I would say that uh, the heritage ministry, you have a culture ministry, but what are they doing about it? There is something called culture ministry. They have the archaeological survey uh, people working under them. Uh, and and uh, rather than Bhangra and this and that, that's also good culture, I'm not saying. But this business of ancient heritage should become the foundation of the culture ministry. And the culture ministry's job should be to produce the grand narrative of India, put it on IMAX, put it in theaters, put it all over in, in textbooks. I mean, they should be the champions who say, we are the experts. We will tell this to the HRD people. They should teach, but we will tell them what to teach. We will tell this to the Ministry of External Affairs. They should project it all, all over the world. But we are the expert to tell them what, what it is to be projected. They haven't done that. At least I'm not aware that, that they have done that. So uh, to disassociate it from politics, what they can do is create independent fund, uh, organizations, uh, give them enough corpus of funding so that whoever comes, you know, cannot tamper and make them autonomous, have, have a board that self-appoints or have enough uh, people from various Hindu mattas and so on that are on these boards so that they can be running even if the even if a new government came which was different you know different in ideology and as far as the funding for dwarka and so on is concerned uh, you know the government has money and the government does spend money it's up to the government to say we're going to increase the funding for these 5 6 10 top top tier archaeological sites the government should identify the top tier archaeological sites and say these sites are it's like putting man on the moon for the united states okay we are going to find we are going to get the, to the bottom of all the evidence there is concerning our heritage, put it together from all the different scientific disciplines with history and all that, produce the grand narrative of ancient India, put it all over the place. This is like putting man on the moon. It's a mission that has to be completed by this, this date, and we are willing to put whatever it takes. That's the kind of commitment uh, which will make a difference. Otherwise, you know, we could, we could keep, uh, uh, we could keep uh, uh, talking about it for a long time. So uh, I will conclude by saying that uh, there's a question by Vinay Chawla which says, what made Hinduism withstand this battle for such a long period? And what is the reason now that Hinduism is getting weak? Now, this is very important because we keep saying we withstood this battle, so we're okay. But things have changed. Globalization wasn't there. So people were not moving from the uh, Islamic nexus or the Christian nexus or the Marxist nexus in and out of India so much. 
because it's the age of globalization. There wasn't so much foreign intervention in the early days. You know, when an invader came, they came here and they settled here and they were not so connected with their home base. But today, it, everybody's online and money is transferring. People are being trained from here and their knowledge is being transferred. So the, the, we are insecure today compared to the past because we are not ready for globalization while our opponents are. They are more export-oriented, aggressive, expansion-oriented. We are not. We haven't had that ideology. So we are being invaded, literally, and we don't even know how to understand it properly. And we would rather avoid it. We would rather wish that it goes away. So that, that is a, an imbalance that we are facing right now. We are also uh, uh, suffering because uh, we don't have proper institutions, management, professionalism. Okay, So we need more public intervention by people like you. Uh, we need activism. And instead of you blindly following the political leaders, you should question them. Instead of you blindly following the gurus, in, uh, no matter what they say, in your particular organization, have a lot of respect, bow to the gurus, touch their feet, tell them we absolutely like and we'll protect you. But here are some issues we want you to address. Do it in a, in a polite way, in a, in a decent way. Ask them to help us out because they are the ones who are able to help us out. Okay, so I will, uh, I will conclude by just telling you that uh, next Saturday, I'll be the keynote speaker at uh, International Yoga Day in Philadelphia. I'm not sure they'll, be re they'll have the technology for a live update. I will try. Otherwise, we'll record and put it up later. And I'm going to talk to them about the appropriation and the misappropriation and the digestion and all that stuff. I'm going to talk about it. It's going to be mainly a white audience of yoga people and a lot of Indians also. And I'm going to be quite courageous and straightforward. Uh, then I'm uh, going to India. Uh, in early July and there also I have a lot of events uh, my first priority will be to do Facebook live wherever I can but where the technology is not available or good enough I will do a recording and upload it upload it later and uh, uh, so this way we'll stay in touch uh, before I leave for India I, I would like to do at least one more Facebook live uh, okay and I want to thank all of you uh, for another reason also uh, we are crossing, in the next few days, we will cross three and a half lakh followers on Facebook. It's because of you. It's because you watch my videos, you share them, you tell friends to join. Uh, this goes on by word of mouth. I would like to create a large kind of a TV channel on, on Internet. It's sort of like our own channel where we can communicate and nobody, can, nobody is there to decide whether to invite me or not invite me. And this, I, this channel I want to make available to other like-minded Hindu thinkers. So I'm not the only one who's going to be talking to you. I'm, I will select a small number of other people also, and each of them will get a slot. Some will speak once a month, some will speak once a week. And so we'll have a group of uh, such people sharing this platform. So if the platform becomes very large, it can be a good counter to the media biases that we are having. Namaste.